I, I never assume that I know what people think or plan. Um, I never assumed that when someone said something or wrote an email, I understand what was behind it. So I will always uh, create a conversation and open everything on the table and, and ask the questions and explain why I'm asking the questions. Welcome to our series entitled The I Am Podcast, a podcast about innovation, business, and most importantly, people. In this series, we'll be talking to founders, executives, and various experts about their vision, challenges, best practices, and lessons learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Hi, what's up, everyone? Today, it's my pleasure to be joined by the Director of Operations at Kando, Tvika Fisher. Hello, Tvika, but I'll call you Mike. Hi. That works, no problem. How are you? And welcome to the I Am Podcast, Mike. Very, I'm very good, and thank you for having me on your great, great podcast. <laughs> thank you. We are so excited to speak with you and learn more from you about your product, about your market, your team, about operations, your project management style, and everything about your journey. All right, so let's get started. All right. Okay, so could you share with us your quick elevator pitch, like an overview of yourself? Sure. Um, so like you said, I, uh, I manage operation. I've been managing operations um, for most of my career with uh, a little side work of doing some sales at some point uh, when I worked at a startup that we can talk about uh, later. But as you know, in, in a startup, everyone is doing everything. So I did a little bit of uh, sales as well, but most of my experience is, uh, is with operations. I, uh, I started as a project manager uh, when I uh, finished my uh, mechanical engineering degree in Israel. And uh, I managed uh, projects in HVAC, in HVAC systems, installations and uh, design of industrial systems. And then I moved on to um, being a product manager for, uh, for the startup that I mentioned. We were working, uh, doing some technology for energy savings, also in uh, HVAC systems. And we, were, uh, we had this great technology. We were starting to, uh, to implement it in the US. And, and then I moved with my family to, uh, to Houston, Texas. And I uh, started, I opened our office there. I started uh, growing our business and, um, and building operations teams and did a little bit of sales, like I said. And not, not, not to say that I didn't like it, but operations is my stronger side. So I, uh, I stayed uh, focused on operations. Like I said, built a team, built uh, procedures. And, and from there, I moved on to, uh, to managing the operations of uh, a control water valve manufacturer in the U.S. as well. So um, uh, that, that was a subsidiary of an Israeli company. At some point, after about seven years in the U.S., enjoying the, uh, the Texas style, we moved back to Israel. And this is now where I'm at with Can Do, like you said, which is a company that is uh, basically... Um, finding pollutions in sewer systems and giving insights to our customers, mostly water utilities, uh, as we say it, uh, th th that they can't control what they can't see. So we help them see what's going on underground in their sewer systems, where their problems are, 
and uh, of course we help them uh, solve these problems. So uh, so here in Kendu, I so I manage the operations, and um, yep, that's the that's the elevator pitch without getting into too many details. Okay, so yes, at Kendu, you improve the water waste. I, I want to know, like, what is the worst thing that can happen? Because you said we don't really pay attention to what you what we don't see. So what's the worst thing that could happen if we don't do this, if we don't improve our wastewater? So what, what happens is uh, that wastewater, um, it, it, and it doesn't matter if it's industrial or residential, but the wastewater um, that we like to ignore because once we flush the toilet, it okay. disappears, right? It's magic, it's gone. So it's not, and it's going to a wastewater treatment plant that's supposed to treat the wastewater in such a way that uh, what comes out of it is supposed to be um, better than what came in. Um, in some cases, as good as using it for irrigation or using it for um, even drinking, you, you'd be surprised. But uh, it doesn't always happen because when the pollution is, is too high, when things that are not supposed to flow in the sewer system goes there and it's not by mistake it's because factories do things that they shouldn't sometimes um what happens is that the, the treatment plant is not a, is not capable of dealing with such a high load of pollution and they end up throwing or rolling rolling the problem downwards um all the way to our oceans or rivers or uh, anywhere in, in nature and and that that's really the the effect that we're trying to to uh, um, to avoid or or help help all the people in the chain, the wastewater treatment plant, and all the way up to the plants that actually pollute the wastewater. We want to be able to help them realize what's going on. We are here. We see it, and this is what we think that you guys should do. That the end result will be better for the environment. Okay. How was it? I mean, um, where do you offer your products to and what's the impact of your product? So we, we work uh, worldwide. Um, we have projects uh, all over the world. Um, we're still not a very big company, but we're growing. And this is really where, uh, where my passion to the operation kicks in. I like, and I'm, what, what I enjoy doing in operations is, is, is really taking something that's working and it's before before the big growth and making sure that we can actually operate when, we, when we're uh, uh, bigger. So you know, planning, planning ahead for the growth, uh, building teams and bringing in the right people. It's not always that the people that were good in the beginning are the same kinds of people we're gonna need when we grow. We always need the experts from the beginning but they will always need support from the outside and that can be uh, different types of, of professionals. So finding out what are the, 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 the kinds of, of professionals we need for the growth and what tools they're gonna need to be able to uh, operate when, when we have a bigger mass of, of, of projects, of customers and also uh, the processes that we will need to work at, with, which are not the same when we're small, obviously. So these are all the things that, that I'm actually doing right now and I've done before is preparing for the growth, which is always difficult because it happens while you grow. <laughs> you don't have that, that period of wait. We're small now, we're going to be bigger. 
let's prepare for that and then we'll be big it's always growing right yeah. so uh, it's always a big challenge okay so talk to us about operations like what is it in a day of a director of operations like talk to us about your style your team structure i guess there's there's three three sides to the operations team we have project managers who actually manage all of our installations worldwide we work with uh, subcontractors in each country where we have a project and a customer and the project managers um, they design the projects they train the partners or the, the subcontractors um, and they work with them throughout the project and that's that's one side we also have the technical support that works on uh, enhancements, malfunctions, supporting all of the issues that uh, uh, subcontractors might encounter on the field. So we have that team. And then we have everything that is supply chain and procurement. Like I mentioned before, the planning ahead of working with the sales teams on the forecast and asking them the this, this always difficult question of, Tell me what you're going to sell in three months from now because I need to buy it today. And of course, it's, a, it's, it's not a fair question to ask a salesperson, what are you going to sell in three months? Because they don't know. But uh, there, there are ways, to, of course, to estimate. And we work very closely together, operations and sales, in, uh, on the forecasts and trying to figure out what's, what we're going to need in the next, in the near future, three months from now, six months from now. And problems with supply chain globally that uh, everybody's been feeling, of course, in the last uh, 12 months at least, even more. Um, this, these things are just, you know, they're rocking your boat all the time. There's, there's no constant, here's a PO, I need the materials in two months from now. Something keeps happening all the time. <laughs> But this is the world we live in right now, uh, post-COVID or during COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So speaking of remote teams, do you also, well, is Scrum Teams a good way to manage a project? Or do you do daily stand-ups? Like, how do you do we, we don't We don't do either. Um, I mean, we, we have our, our, our daily and, and weekly meetings. Um, Depends on, on the teams, the technical support team, obviously they're in the office, in the lab every day, all day. They have to be there because that's where the equipment is. Uh, our project managers have, are, are more flexible, but they've always been more flexible because their work is spread around the world across mm -hmm. all five continents where we have projects. So they're always either traveling or on, on Zoom meetings. It has never been... Uh, um, uh, strengthening for us for them working internally between us remotely that's that's the change and i think that's the the bigger challenge here is on really on the on the managerial side because we we needed to learn to be able to uh to control or or to lose control but still trust and make trust the people and make sure that the work is being done and find the ways to keep our finger on the pulse without seeing the people in the office every day or without being in the office. Um, and, and yeah, for that, we have you know, scheduled meetings and, and more reporting on emails of what has been done and what's open and, and discuss, a lot of discussions on uh, also on the things, a lot of the things that I do, like the growth that I talked about. If I want to implement a new a new tool, a new software that will help, let's say, the project managers 
work with their subcontractors. It's something that I have to do with them. It's, I don't do it by myself. The implementation of these things, or even before the implementation, um, specifying the needs. The needs are theirs, not mine. So, so I need to work a lot with them. And for specific things like that, we we would we try to meet in person at the office uh, when, when we can. Growing operations teams, you said. So yes, as a director of operations, I'm imagining like you are uh, overseeing the sales, um, the planning, everything, uh, the people. So do you have any best practice or some tips or what's the strategy? Yes, I do. I think the, the biggest thing is to keep talking, be open and always keep talking to people. I, I never assume that I know what people think or plan. Um, I never assume that when someone said something or wrote an email, I understand what was behind it. So I will always uh, create a conversation and open everything on the table and, and ask the questions and explain why I'm asking the questions. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give an example to make it yeah. clearer. Um, I've, I've started when I, when I joined CanDo um, an SNOP meeting or sales and operations meeting, a scheduled meeting with the different sales teams for the different regions where we sit down and discuss the pipeline. We, the sales team work with a CRM, with a, with a software, with, with Salesforce for that matter, where they have all their pipeline updated constantly. And I look at that and that's supposed to give me the full picture of what's going to happen. When are we going to get, what deals, how much equipment I'm going to need for each and every deal. And I can take the final number and, and look at it and say, okay, I'm going to need X amount of units installed in three different countries in the next three months. But I take that, that report and I meet with the team, um, let's say once a month, and we go over it and we discuss it. And there are always things that come up, always. Either something that wasn't updated properly and it's important and we catch that, that thing or uh, something that was updated, but they want to tell me that they do think it's going to happen, but give me another week because I have a meeting with their sales director next week and I'm, I'm going to know a little bit more. Things that come up in a conversation that the softwares can't replace or the, the text messages and emails can't replace. So, and, and, when I, and when I talk to them, I explain to them why I'm asking. I'm not criticizing what they put there. I just want to know because next week I'm going to open a new big purchase order for one of our suppliers. And I want to make sure that I have everything that they're going to need inside this purchase order. Otherwise, we're going to have to wait another month. And I don't want them to miss this vote. So the open discussion is very, very important. It's, this was just an example with the peers, the sales teams. Um, it's the same with, uh, with my team, my employees. Everything that we do uh, is very open and everything is open for discussion, either in a group or one-on-one. -on -one. And it would be the same with, um, with the founders that I report to. Everything will always be open. If I, if I explain to them that I have uh, needs for more team, more team people or more uh, tools, um, I won't only justify it with a spreadsheet that explains the work hours um, that we're, we need more people, it will always be an open discussion where I, can, where I can show them, explain to them 
the pain that my team feels right now with the workload. A spreadsheet that says this person is working 130%, it, it, it's nice, it says something. But when I explain how much it hurts because they have kids at home or they have, they're traveling so much more than, more than they should, that's something that uh, only a discussion can help, can do. That's, that's the way I see it. So open discussion, put everything on the table and, and communication. That's, these are my, my, my tips, my key for achievements. For sales, what if you don't hit your targets? For, could you talk to us about KPIs or OKRs? Yeah, so, well, because we're growing like we are and we're constantly changing, um, then our, our KPIs change as well. So it's very difficult to track the KPIs when you, when you keep changing them all the time. Um, we do have to put the KPIs in place. And I, I like KPIs not for, the, for what they are, not for the, the numbers that you need to hit, but more for the, for the structure, for the frame that it gives. So if we don't meet our KPI, it's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, it could be a great thing because then we sit down and we, and we talk about why didn't we meet those KPIs. Let's, let's find the reasons, the issues, and, and we'll work on that. So I don't care if you only got three out of four. I care about why didn't you get that one? What do you need so next time you can get it? Okay, that's great. And if I give you this tool, can you make five? And it might be obvious. I might get an answer that says, I can make seven if you give me this tool. So now we've improved not from three to four, but from, from three to seven, just because we talked about what was missing. So I really don't care about not meeting the KPI as much as I care about what needs to happen. <coughs> I'm sorry, what needs to happen to, um, to, to reach it next time. Mm, okay. Wow. Like, how can I help you? That's that's what's in mind, like the mindset. Okay, how can I help you reach this or fill, fulfill this target? Okay, exactly. Could you give us one example of like a project, and then it did not turn well, turn out what you how you expected it to be, and how did you manage that situation? Um, let me think off top of my head. Um, yeah, since you work all over the globe, right? Right, right. So, um. We've, we've had a project in, in Europe somewhere where um, the project started during COVID. So we, we weren't present there at, from the beginning of the project. We managed everything remotely, including the field installations. It was done uh, with uh, videos. So the, we, we trained the subcontractors on site um, through Zoom meetings. And then they went out to the, to the field and we were doing video, uh, video calls with them and seeing what they're doing and explaining to them a lot of pictures and a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of calls. And, and that's how the project started. And, and, and it was okay, it was good, but it wasn't great like we wanted. And, the, and, and we, could, we couldn't get there. It's, it's in a country where it, it's been red for, for almost all of last year. And we just couldn't get there at any point. So we had to keep on working remotely on that. And it's, it, it wasn't the result that we wanted, but we really, it was the best that we could, we could get in this situation. So we were, on one hand, we were happy with the result, but we wanted it to be better. And 
and we couldn't. It was very frustrating. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at it as, as, as a success and a failure, both combined, because we've done the first remote training and installation and, and initiation of a project, which is a huge achievement because the project is okay. It's good, it's running. But on the other hand, it's not the, the level of, of excellence that we want. Um, as soon as the skies opened, we, we flew out there, uh, a whole team, and we, we went there together with, the, with our partners and the subcontractor, and the customer was, was extremely happy that we were able to work only, only by the fact that we came there, even before we improved the project. They were so happy that we engaged in a physical communication and relationship. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, of course, we, the project is, is now at the level where we expected it to be. So that, that was uh, a great situation to be in. Just the, the, to be able to see the importance of actually physically being in, in the, with the customer, with the project, because like I said, remotely worked and it worked okay, even good, but we were missing that personal touch from, from, from good to great. That's what was missing. Where do you have your footprints on again? Which countries? Um, so mostly in Israel. And outside of Israel, Europe is a big market for us, uh, mainly Italy, but uh, a lot of other countries around. Um, U.S. is a very growing market for us as well. And we also have things in, in South, South America and a little bit in, uh, in South, South Pacific. Um, in, uh, we're hoping to grow in, in New Zealand and Australia the next, uh, this the upcoming year. So it's really all over. Yes, it's really all over. So how do you adjust the time zones? Or how, how do you delegate things? Um, so the, my project managers, they each get a territory that they work with. And um, it, it is difficult because they have to work on Israeli hours as well because there's a lot of things going on uh, internally, but then also working with the, with the subcontractors and the customers uh, across the oceans so um, we, we don't we don't have daily meetings because of that because each and every one of the people they work different hours but we do have our uh, a few weekly meetings mm. and for those these are anchored everybody knows that they need to be on those meetings because this is where we all get together to discuss things and then I have one-on-ones with them according to the work hours that work mostly for them so uh I don't have to uh, work with uh, New Zealand hours, except for the occasions where I'm where I'm needed at some of the meetings, but not on a not on a regular base. But I do have to work with the guys that work with New Zealand or the U.S. or um, so I, I adjust my time to uh, work with whatever works for everyone else, and of course everyone else in the office. We work very closely with the. With the product teams and the and the R and D teams and um, everyone else, uh, finance, sales, like I said. So <laughs> some of them are local and work local hours, but some also work with a lot of people from outside of Israel. Yeah. Okay. So yes, you started working in a startup in Israel, and then you went to the U.S. So could you talk to us about like? Okay, going to a different country, experiencing a different culture, and maybe a big company compared to a startup, you know, has work there. 
Yeah, that, that that's a whole new. Uh, I mean, that that's enough. We can talk about it for a whole new uh, uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, actually, a serious series of podcasts we can do on that. But uh, in, in a nutshell, um, it, it was a great experience. Of course, personally, I learned a lot, and um, I, I experienced um, different work cultures, not just work, but uh, work cultures as well. Um, I, I think the the most important thing that I've learned is that you need to recognize that there is a cultural gap. And um, you don't even have to know how to, how to bridge that gap, but realizing that the way that you operate, the way that your country operates uh, or your company is not necessarily, or it's necessarily not the way that other cultures operate just that acknowledgement by itself is a huge thing. And I'm saying it because I've seen over and over people coming from different places to the U.S. in that case and thinking that everything is the same. And the way that they used to sell, they're going to sell it in the U.S. market, for example, and it's going to work. Or the way that they used to operate their business, they're going to do the same thing when they open a new office in the U.S. and it's going to work. Or the way that they talk to their American peers is going to be the same and it's going to work. And this is where, where you fail. Because you have to understand that even a word that you say or the way that you say a certain word can be taken or accepted differently on the other side. So when you're aware of this and you start paying attention to that, this is when you actually you can start building that bridge and um, to, to bridge that gap between the different cultures. And it's not easy, and there's a lot of differences. could be huge and could be just little nuances, um, but being aware of that and realizing it and, and talking about it with people who have been there and already built that bridge, that's, that's where the, the magic starts to happen. That's where you can bring the good things from your side and... and bringing it you know, to the other side in a way that they will accept it, they will understand it. Mm. And, um, and when two cultures meet in a good way, there's, there's only good things that can happen. Right. What is your biggest takeaway from your journey? I mean, what's one important lesson you would like to share or leave our audience or listeners out there? Okay. Um, well, I, I, I have to give it from, from my uh, personal perspective, which is mm-hmm. Israeli perspective, uh, looking at things in the U.S. And I think, uh, let's say that that would be my tip to anyone, any Israeli moving to the U.S. to work there. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, put all cynicism aside. Every, everything that you think that you know about the American market, the American people, um, put it all aside and come with fresh set of eyes and be open to, um, to understand that America is, is, has been there for many, many years. And there are companies that are older than, than our country. So there is a reason why they things there work and try to learn these things and see how you can take those, uh, the work procedures or the tools that they have or um, the way that they run their companies or their operations or their sales. And it's not all going to fit to what you want, 
but there are so many great things that you can learn from there and try to implement it on the way that, that you do things. And that way, like I said, that that's where the two cultures meet and you can, you can use the, their experience and their ways in a way that your company can, can, can benefit from it. But it, it really takes, like I said, lowering the cynicism, lowering all the gates that we build around us, thinking that we know better than anyone else because we've been, we've invented this thing, right? If, you, if, you, if you're a startup and you invented something, I invented it. I know how to sell it. I know how the market, uh, what the market needs. Hold on. There's a big market outside. Listen to it. Maybe there's someone else local that can sell your product better than you can. It's just something that you need to be open to. And yeah. once you are, once you are, it's only great things will happen. Mm, that's insightful. There's a really a lot of things that is good for a different podcast episode <laughs> about sales um, about culture <laughs> okay you anytime. should come back <laughs> okay anytime. so having said that this is one statement you have to fill i am tvika your blank director of operations so what do you want to put it beside your name i'll say overall your overall director of operations, because the way that I see the operations role or the person that manages the operations is that whatever the company needs to happen that will happen, it's on me to make it happen. So overall, let's say I sit with our CEO and he tells me, this is what I want or next year, or next month, or next quarter. This is what needs to happen. And it doesn't have to be operational only. It, it can be sales. This is how much I want to sell next year. I need to go and make it happen on my end, of course. I'm not going to be the one going and selling. But like I said, I need to sit down with the salespeople and say, hey, our CEO wants, wants an X3 sales next year. What do I need to do to make sure that you got, to help you guys uh, make it happen? So anything that an overall view of everything that the company needs to happen, we, the operations, we are the supporters, the service. We give service to the company. To the, I'm giving service to the sales team. Mm -hmm. You go sell, just tell me what I need to do to help you be successful. So it's an overall uh, role. It's not just let's go and purchase items. <laughs> it's, it's really an overview. Wow. So... Does that come with experience? I mean, how do you think out of the box? How do you get those ideas? How do you get them? How do you push them? Where do you get the strategies? It's, it's, it's experience. Um, I, was, I was lucky enough to choose um, different routes in my life that uh, gave me a lot of different experiences if being um, working in Israel and in the U.S., working for startups and working for big companies, working with people who have, uh, have taught me a lot throughout the way, but also working completely solo where I had to make things and find things and, and try and fail and try and find the right things. So all of that combined is really a, a big package of, of, of a lot of things, and I just try to use all these tools in the right place. Uh, you know, it's all about collecting the tools along the way 
and also knowing which ones you pull when 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 you need something wow okay there's really a lot to learn from you but wow time is very fast so i thank you very much Tamika, for your time thank you mike for your time for saying yes to this uh podcast all the best thank to you very do. much i've had a lot of fun this podcast is powered by iamops.io optimize your cloud infrastructure and CICD process with iamops.io dedicated devops Check out www.imops.io and get a DevOps team now. Make sure to check out www.imops.io if you want to know more about us. Subscribe to our podcast so you can get notified every time we post a new video. Thank you and you have a great day.